question we talked about. Thanks. Cast up the highway 
and gathered out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. That's about the prayer. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit guidance in our thoughts, our meditations, and our words this morning as we look into the scriptures that you give to us, as we endeavor to understand your heart for us as your people. And so we just pray your blessing upon the remainder of the service. In the name of Christ, amen. Back to verse 4. His name, Hepsilah. It's only mentioned two places in the scripture. Once in 2 Kings 21, verse 1. And there it is, the name of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah's wife. Her name was Hepsilah, also the mother of Manasseh. And here it is used by God through the prophet Jeremiah, or prophet Isaiah, in relation to God referring to his people and to this new name that he gives them, which is Hesedah. Now, the name means, very simple, but the, main name, the name means, my delight is in her. So it is an endearing term, it is an endearing name. And God here was borrowing this name from the wife of King Hezekiah, which was, he was a godly king, you remember. And, and he is using this name to also, in relation to, to his people and his relationship to them. And God is saying that these, my people, I'm giving you this name, and it means that my delight is in you, or my delight is in her. Now, the other name that is used here in this verse, Beulah, and that means uh, married, chosen, or protected, or inhabited. In other words, the land was not going to be desolate. It was going to be married. In other words, it was going to be owned. And it was going to be taken care of. It was going to be protected. And so that is the meaning there of these two, of these two names. And so in this passage, God is saying of his people, and in this name, that my delight is in her. My delight is in her. Now, it is also interesting that I believe that while this passage, in, in the primary sense, you know, first of all, was referring to Israel and their return from the land of, of captivity, but I believe that is also prophetic and reaching forward, and it is also a messianic term. And you, you could see that here in chapter, this chapter, verse 2. He talks about, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And so in this, in this, um, the, the prophet Isaiah was seeing beyond just uh, the nation of Israel and their returning from captivity and being claimed by God again as the faithful remnant. But God was also here seeing the Gentiles being brought in. And he says, they're also going to see thy righteousness. 
And so we have that um, beautiful picture there. We're not going to go through this chapter in detail, but it is definitely referring, I believe, to the New Testament concept of the family of God. I believe it spans both the Jews and the Gentiles as God's children, as God's family. Now, I'd like to just give a background for this message of why we're looking at this and what this is going to mean. This may end up being a series of messages to see how the Lord leads and where it goes. I believe that the whole concept of the people of God, the church, is under attack today like never before. This is something I've been meditating on, thinking about in the last weeks. And I think it is part of the, of the end time attack of the devil upon the people of God. I believe the church is under attack like never before in the history. You know, whether it's the Old Testament family of God, the saints of the old, of old, or the New Testament covenant. This is not only a nominal Christianity, nominal churches. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can see that. And the attacks there and the losing out. But I believe also, we would say in conservative churches, as well, if you look at the landscape of, of churches and the struggles and the, and the, yes, there are victories and there are faithful remnants, I believe. But we have to understand and, and we admit and we see, you know, the ongoing struggles and battles and difficulties. And maybe at times you and I have asked the question, well, how is this supposed to work? And how, how is this going to all pan out? How does God see all of this? What is God's plan for us? What is God's plan for his people? Maybe sometimes it almost feels like the disciples, you know, there were those who went back and returned from following Jesus because of that hard saying. And Jesus turned to them said, will you also go away? That's the words of Christ to the church. Then you also like the disciples, you know, when um, they came to Jesus and they said, Master, are there few that be saved? And you know that, and we can almost feel that same question, you know, in our, inside of us. And trying to understand and, and to see and make sense of all that is happening. Now you think about the church being under attack, and I said that, that I believe it was never before. And we have to live in relative peace, we live in relative um, freedom in relation to Christianity. But that is the exception. We'll look at that possibly at a, at a future time in relation to the suffering church. But I still believe that if you look at in church history, well, we can think about the, the times of the martyrs and the persecutions and the burning at the stake and you know, being thrown to the lions and all those things. Like we talked about in the last part of this um, chapter 11 there of Matthew, I mean of, of Hebrews, the last part of that chapter 11, you know that all that happened to them, but they died in faith. 
And so there is that, that part of it. You can think, well, that must have been the greatest persecution of the church. No, I believe today is the greatest persecution of the church. 2022, and I think I've said this before, probably here, but 2022 was said to be the, the um, there was more martyrs died for their Christian faith than any, any other year um, before that. Of course, those who can keep track, um, I can't prove that, but there is a lot of people, Christians, dying for their faith today. And so this attack of the church is not only just outright physical persecution that is happening presently in many places in the globe, but it is much more than that. And I believe that what the devil has been unable to do through direct persecution, we could say direct physical persecution of the church he has in many ways accomplished through destroying a biblical view of the church for many people. And this is where it comes close to home for us. Because you would be probably at times have grappled with this question, you know, how is this supposed to work out? But it seems like there are so many difficulties at times, you know, and how do we relate to this and as parents with our children and young people? Think with me a little bit of the many people that you and I know who have largely given up on a relationship with the church. I'm not saying necessarily we're saying that they're not Christian. I'm just saying that I remember one man told me, well, I tried the whole church thing. And that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. What was into that, I do not know. But that's the conclusion that people are coming to too often. And I'm not saying it's other people's fault, the church's fault, versus their fault. I don't know all that. But I'm just saying, what is God's will? We look at this Old Testament scripture here in Kastabah, where God is saying, my delight is in her. And so you have the, the heavenly view, you have the divine view of God looking at the church and saying, my delight is in you. I love you. I purchase you. You belong to me through the shedding of the blood of my dear son, the Lord Jesus. And yet here on earth, from a human perspective, it seems like there's a lot of difficulty sometimes. And I'm not saying about this here in our congregation. I'm not referring to us specifically here. I'm just saying in the broader, broader picture. And people struggle with that sometimes. And how do we relate to that? And so they kind of give up on this idea of church. Sort of become solitary Christians. It's kind of on their own. Is that God's plan? Is that, is that what God wants? Well, there are many different reasons why people have made the decision that they have in relation to church. Being a part of the people of God. Maybe it's wrong personal choices that brought them into conflict, you know, with the local church. That's why they choose something else. Sometimes it's broken into personal relationships that haven't been fixed. There hasn't been repentance. There hasn't been reconciliation. There hasn't been forgiveness. Sometimes that causes people to turn their back on the church. 
or some is the abuse of an authoritarian type of leadership. So in 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 that they they, they turn away. For some it's the disengagement of the membership from the functioning of the church. They just don't feel a part of it. Not really a side there. Sometimes it's disillusionment. There's seemingly a lifeless routine that is deeply unsatisfying. People just say, well, what is this? Sometimes it's hurts of past happenings, and, and people want to avoid getting hurt again, so they just stay away and keep that distance from, from others. For some, it's submitting themselves to the accountability that comes with being a part of a brotherhood, being a part of a church, not willing to submit, not willing to lay down their own ideas, for others the cost of surrender of their own individuality, like I talked about, them, submitting themselves to a brother is just a little bit too much. The individualism of our Western culture, which is really a result of the humanism that is that is widespread in Western civilization, Western culture, has affected us at times, and we see that. Because of these issues and others, people come to wrong conclusions about the church as God designed it to be. And so this morning, as we think about all of this, it can sound very pessimistic, it can sound very negative. But I think it is a certain reality that we have to deal with and look at. And that's where, you know, I've been thinking about several messages in relation to the church. And I'm not sure why, but it seems like we've got this all backwards here. And I'm starting off with uh, God's view of it from the perspective of what his intention is. And then maybe some future messages we'll look at, Lord willing. Some practical, more practical areas for us. Now, as God looks down from heaven this morning, what does he see of the church? What does he see of the church? And that's a challenge for us individually and as a church. Can God say of us, my delight is in her. My delight is in her. You see, from a human perspective, we, have, we tend to see, because of her view, the humanity of the church. We tend to see these faulty, broken people that sometimes create struggles and difficulties for each other. And we tend to see that part of it. I don't think that Again, this is looking from a historical perspective, but never before in history, history of the Christian church, I believe, has there been more attempts, more attempts to redefine, restructure, reinvent, redesign, and renew the definition of a church. And just reading some things sometimes Come across some ideas that people have come up with in relation to their approach to the church. And it's just all over the map, and some of them are just really, really uh, re ridiculous, we would say. Uh, what they're saying, well, this is this is how we're gonna do church. And fail to understand, but look at it from the perspective of what does God say about 
No, the church is not man's invention. The church is, belongs to Jesus Christ. He purchased her with his own blood. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. We can look at that. But, you know, there can be a lot of different reasons, you know, that why people have made the decisions that they did. Now, I'd like to uh, also think a little bit about the fact that we as humans, in our human nature, we tend to be very reactionary when we feel that we have been wronged or hurt or taken advantage of or misunderstood. Now, I could ask you to raise your hands. How many of you, how many of us, at times in church life have felt wrong or a little hurt or taken advantage of or misunderstood? Well, raise your hand, right? There's been some times that we've, we've felt those things. And in all those things, we have a tendency, humanly speaking, to be very reactionary. So, in these reactions, and in an attempt to safeguard ourselves, we as people can easily end up on some very wrong paths in life, and especially in the concept of the church. Here I'll name a few. Because there are too many details and rules in a church, they decide to have church with no rules. I believe with a situation in another area, quite far from here, but and I think it's a reaction. But they said, "No, we're going to have church, and we have no rules whatsoever. Everybody's going to follow the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Spirit, so." If it lasts one generation, that's all it lasts. History has shown that. How new has been tried before. But it's a reaction, you see. Or because of authoritarian leadership, they decide not to have any ordained leaders at all. Everyone just takes turns preaching. Some decide that large church group groups meeting in a large church building are wrong, so they promote small house churches. Or because of overbearing type church leadership, they decided it should be democratic. Should everyone have equal say by, by simple majority vote? Or because of the vulnerability of close relationships and brotherhood and the danger of getting hurt in personal relationships, the church is just a formal gathering or assembly Sunday morning, and otherwise there is very little interaction. In other words, don't get too close to anybody, then you won't get hurt, right? Or that, that idea. A lot of people that view church that way. Or services are too boring or whatever, and so there needs to be more entertainment to attract people. Sometimes people react to services seeming too, seeming too formal, and so they overreact and decide to make it more casual and more relaxed. Some decide that it's better to reach the world. They need to, to become more like the world. Or, since there are so many hypocrites in the church, they, they can't belong to that. So they actually just sit off by themselves, nursing their own hypocrisy. Some conclude that they don't need to be part of a church to be saved at all. 
this is going on. I'm just saying it gives a picture of, of how human nature so often reacts to some of the things that can happen in the disappointments of life. Again, the question is, as God looks down from heaven, what does he see in all of this? What is his will? And I think this morning that that is, you know, there needs to be the goal, is the goal of every sincere child of God is to understand what God wants. Not what man wants, but what God wants. If we can only come back to the revealed plan of God in the scriptures, I think it's too often where it's mankind setting up what he thinks God will want and offering that to God, like Cain brought his offering. You know, and when he knew better, and when he, he knew that, that Abel was bringing the offering that God wanted, Cain brought his offering and offered it to the Lord. And, and churches can get to that point where it's, it's a man-made structure of offering what they think God will want, rather than having it the reverse, and being in obedience to what God wants, and offering what God wants, not what man thinks he wants. Now, it would be very interesting this morning to go around and to hear each of you give your view of the church. You know, in a summary, in a few words, time to do that. That would be interesting. It's good to stop and think about this. What do you believe about the church? We need to remember that our view is very earthly and human. And this is where we so often get tripped up in our relationships because we see the faults of each other. We see the flat sides of each other. And sometimes we can hardly see past that and to see that God is working in my brother and my sister. God is sanctifying them and God is blessing them. And yes, they're not perfect yet either, like I'm not perfect yet. And so therefore, you know, we give that grace, like the scripture says, you know, that um, charity covers the multitude of sins. Peter talks about that in church life, you know, where that love is there. It's also why the Apostle Paul says there in Corinthians that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And so he's talking about the glory of Christ and the and the the majesty of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God within us. He says we have that treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the knowledge may be of God and not of us. And you see, sometimes we, we get stuck. And just seeing these earthen vessels and how faulty they are and, and how, you know, prone to uh, misunderstanding and failure and and we fail to see the glory of God that is at work in that, in that heart. I'm not talking about allowing sin and, and that sort of thing, but, but you know how in our humanness sometimes we irritate and frustrate each other. And we, can't, we have a hard time seeing past that and see the glory of Christ within God is working in my brother and my sister as much as he's working in my heart, too. And God is working to bring us to that place where we are without spot and blameless. And so, we need to remember that, that our view is earthly and human. Also, we need to remember that your church will always be made up of even broken people who have found forgiveness in being bought with the blood of Christ. How often have you heard someone criticize a church or criticize church members and say, well, you know, they're, they're a hypocrite or, you know, they, they're not living up right. You know, they're not doing this right. They're not doing that right. 
And they stand at a distance and criticize. And it's true at times. We are, we do, we are a struggling people. We are a, a, a needy people. We are a broken people. But the question is, is the blood of Christ at work in our hearts? Do we have the Holy Spirit within? God didn't, didn't ordain the church for perfect people. But he ordained the church for broken, needy people that need perfection. And in the church, God will continue that perfection, that perfecting aspect. And so what is our view of the church? It's going to be for those who are sincerely seeking to find the mercy and grace of God for their lives individually. Also, we need to remember the church is, in the biblical context, is not man's idea, but it's God's. I mentioned that before a little bit. We'll come to that a little bit later, probably. But also think of it this way. The privilege to belong to the church. Belong to a local body. is tremendous. It is the only organization that will move from time into eternity with the coming of the Lord Jesus. All other things will crumble of this earth. The church will be transported, transferred from earth to glory. Now I'd like to take a little bit about what does the scriptures teach about the church. And this is more from God's perspective. I'd like to turn now to Ephesians 1. You'll recognize this as the prayer of Paul and referring to the the um, work of God in bringing about the, the church, the eternal plan of God. Ephesians 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 4. According, let's, I'll read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the rich, riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. We're going to stop there. Notice, first of all, that God's plan for the church preceded, or was in eternity past, before the creation. We have that um, in verse 4. 
we were chosen by God to be a part of his church, to be a part of his family, his people, before the foundation of the world. And we have that the predestinated part is the predestinated plan, and that was the adoption of children, verse 5. And so the plan of God for his people, you say for the church, was it, it was before or earlier than the creation of the world. And God knew that there was the man would make a wrong choice, that it would cause the human race to fall into the sin nature and provided the atonement. Um, and in that sense, through Jesus Christ, we have that uh, down to those verses 5, 6, 7. Um, in whom we have redemption for his blood and forgiveness of sins. All that was part of the plan of God at that point. Now, notice uh, just further in this chapter, verse uh, 15, uh, actually just down to, um, I'll get re again reading in verse 18, that the eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. There's a lot there in this passage. But notice um, in verse 18, the to make uh, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so God the Father gave us people of God, us as saints, as an inheritance to Christ. We belong to Christ. And so that was part of the glory of his inheritance. But notice also in verse 22, where God had put all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and gave him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. That filleth all in all. So we have Christ here as given as the head of the church, and we as his body are filled with the glory of Christ. That is the design and the plan of God. We can turn to Matthew 16 and verse 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is the first uh, time the word church is used in the scriptures. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so there is an impossibility that the devil can stop the plan and purposes of God for the church. We could turn to Romans 8. And there we notice that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because of his sacrifice on our behalf. And we could turn to John 10. In verses 27 there to 29. And Jesus says there that no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And so there's that security that God has in relation to his children 
and we could say the church. There's also the anticipation of Christ for his church. I'd like to turn to John 17, uh, familiar verses, but they speak of the, uh, the plan of God and how God was involved with the ministry of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ in, in the institution of, his, of, of, the, of the church. John 17 and verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. Remember we talked about the inheritance of the saints, which was given to Christ and his glory there. And that's what he's referring to here. Here, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, in other words, my inheritance, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so there we have the heartfelt desire of Christ that those who were given to him, the, the faithful disciples there, he's referring to, and all others, who those who would yet believe, he says earlier in the chapter, yet will believe on me, that they would all be brought together as one family. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the desire of Christ. Now, Revelation uh, 3 and verse 21 to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. So there's a promise to the overcomer to be with Christ, and Christ is there to ask him for permission that those faithful would be able to sit with him in his throne. Now I'd like to turn back to Ephesians 3. There's a couple more scriptures. You'll notice here that God only has one family. I know we make the distinction between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. I know we do that. And I know why. Because um, the Old Covenant was different than the New Covenant. So we, we have that distinction. But sometimes I think we actually make too much of that distinction. I'll show you why. I think that. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause I call the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles... Remember, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, to me, given me to you, work, how that by revelation ye may know unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And he's kind of like, you know, like a, some people write stories. When they write a story, you know, they're, they're bringing the tension level up, you know, the anticipation of what is he going to say. And he's talking about this mystery that in, in previous ages was not known. They didn't understand it. Apostle Peter talks about things which the angels desire to look into, which is part of this. And so Paul is saying that it was revealed to me this mystery from all previous ages. And uh, now I want you to read it and you can understand this mystery now when you listen to me, he says. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body 
and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The mystery revealed that the Gentiles were going to be brought in and become part of the family of God, part of the same body. So we can say this morning that God only has one family. Jews and Gentiles being brought together in Christ. We can turn to uh, Galatians. You don't need to turn to this. I'll just read it for you. Galatians makes so many things clear in relation to this. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now listen, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God only has one family. So the Gentiles, God did all of this. Christ died. He fulfilled the law, took away the curse. So the Gentiles could be brought in, he says, with the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Are you a Jew this morning? Are you a Jew? Not ethnically, ethnically. Spiritually? Yes. You're spiritually Jewish. Abraham is our father. But the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. There's another verse. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, belong to Christ this morning, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. All the promises God gave to Abraham, God's design, God's plan from the start, before the foundation of the world, before the creation, was that he's going to have one family. A fellowship of believers that he was going to enjoy for all eternity. And he asked there in John 17 that we could be with him and share in that. That's why Jesus said, Many shall come from the east, from the west, and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of heaven. And he also talked about sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Can you imagine yourself sitting down beside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and having a conversation with them? Such as maybe to have a conversation with Sarah, or some of the others, faithful in the past. You understand what I'm saying? There's an identity there. People, people know. You say, well, how could that be possible? Because God's original plan always was to bring us all together. You see, I'm trying to help us understand, you know, the overall picture of God in relation to the church. So that we can raise our eyes above local situations and, and, and the times in which we live to see God's purposes still being worked out. 
We can turn to Ephesians 3.10. We'll do that. There it speaks of that uh, the church is on display. Most of the way, God's freedom. Ephesians 3.10. To the intent, some of this mystery being revealed, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The church is on display. You and I are on display to the heavenly hosts, the uh, principalities and powers in heavenly places. God has put the church on display to them that they would understand something of the wisdom of God by seeing how the church works. That's, that's God's view. That's, that's what God says. And that gives us a lot to live up to. By the grace of God, I believe we can. Might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. All right, lastly, the church was God's focal point throughout all human history. We talked about that. And so the words are significant there in Acts 2, verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, fully come. Sometimes we refer to that as the birthday of the church. But really, it's only the beginning of the New Testament church where the Gentiles are brought in. And that began almost immediately when the Gentiles were finding salvation. And so that Pentecost, different from all previous Pentecosts, was the start of that bringing together the family of God. So God was, was working with that. So it was God's, the church was God's focal point throughout all human history. God's eye was on the church and all his plans and choosing Abraham choosing a man, choosing a family, choosing the tribes, Israel, the 12 tribes, and then down to the one tribe of Judah, and so on right down through the line of King David, all the way to Christ, all leading up to where he would bring the church into its full fulfillment. In closing, Hebrews 1, oh, sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 10. I read this before. But think of this, when God is saying, I'm going to call you Hesabah. My delight is in you. My delight is in her. Ephesians 1.10 That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. That's the plan of God. That's the view of God. That's what God is waiting for to bring us all together in one large family of God in His presence forever. May God help us this morning to catch that vision that God has for His people, what God has for His church. And the priceless privilege that you and I have to be part of that kingdom today and then look forward to the the vision God has made for us to be forever with his people. Remember the name of God that he has given to us, his people. Absalom. Think God delights in you. Think God loves you. Think God wants to see you perfected in this life by all that he brings into your experience, my experience. I believe so. He's working to perfect us so that there 
present us great joy. And these are my brothers, these are my sisters that I have redeemed, that I have won with my blood. We present the cross for his presence. That's what we to the church, being part of your family, we just pray this morning that each of us would understand your desire for us and to know how to live this out in our lives. We know that we stumble along sometimes, Father, we, we sometimes make mistakes and errors and we try to fulfill the, the mission you have called us to, but we thank you, Father, for your forgiveness and mercy, that as we enjoy the miracle of brotherhood in so many different ways that you would continue to bless us. And help us to find our way together and to live out your purposes in the way you want us to live. And we thank you that the church belongs to, to our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the church. And we can follow his direction and his guidance. And so, Father, we just pray that each of us will live unselfishly as we continue to give ourselves to your work and to the mission you call us to fulfill. And so, Father, we just pray your blessing upon us, and may we continue. Uh, to live in faithfulness, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.